Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with my co-host, Leanne Whippen. Camaro Dave, Commander Chris, they're in the studio, and we're coming to you from the remote Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in the Portland area here. Uh, this show, we start this year with the USA radio networks. I think that had something to do with Leanne. They finally took a look at her and said, <laughs> yeah, okay, we've got that. Uh, today, we're going to be talking with Robert Moss here in just a couple minutes. And as you know, Robert's been on the show before. He's a barbecue editor for Southern Living Magazine. Also written several books. He's got a new one coming out. But first, we want to say thank you to the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended. You can check that out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Robert, welcome. Hey, JJ. Thanks. Everybody have a good holiday season. I should ask that first before we really jump into the show. Yeah, I sure did. We had a lot of just small family gatherings and cooked, cooked a lot of good food and ate a lot of good food. So great holidays uh, here in Charleston. Yeah, good. How about you, Leanne? Got COVID under the belt. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one day I talked to you, you were you were pretty much yeah. on the down low there. You were my sister were... and I uh yeah found out Christmas Eve. And uh so we just got out of quarantine and she oh, went wow. on her merry way yesterday and now I'm getting ready to start life again. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, I'm glad that uh, you got that over with and that Me too. Robert ate a lot of good food and I cooked a lot. I can tell you that. And um, it was all good. It was good. We got a new kitty cat. So that's good. Leanne, you know about that. But yes, Leanne and I are kind of cat people, Robert. Mm -hmm. So we're um, we got a new one. Uh, my daughter named her Mavis. I'm not sure where that <laughs> came from, but it'll it'll stick. So mm -hmm. anyway, so what's new with Robert and what's uh, let's talk about your new book first. What's what are you doing there? Yeah, so that one's a new book that's coming out soon. Gosh, it's, it's really sneaking up on me now. It'll be out February 15th, so it's almost just, just a little over a month away now. Uh, it's something that's been in the works for a long time. Sometimes the wheels of publishing move slow, but it's called The Lost Southern Chefs, um, and it's a commercial a history of commercial dining in the 19th century South. So that those those folks who know me from uh, most of my writing about barbecue, that they, I'm, I'm very much into barbecue history. So this takes it a little bit adjacent to barbecue into more all sorts of commercial dining, which could be restaurants, it could be bars, saloons, banquets, anywhere that people would cook and, and sell sell food for a living right. in the South. And it's a topic that not a lot of people have have written uh, about before, or even talk, even you know turned out much material about before. So it's a lot of new ground, and it's, it's been a fun a fun project. Step away a little bit from barbecue, though. I can tell the story in a bit. Barbecue actually sort of led into my doing that book in the first place. Well, that's good. And when you talk about bars and caterings and gatherings that's kind of my wheelhouse <laughs> you know so I'm, I'm very comfortable with that i i know leanne probably is very um 
what do I want to say? I don't, not a goody two shoes, but she probably hasn't <laughs> spent as much time in a bar as I have. So <laughs> at least I'm hoping she hasn't. For uh, her own, I'll never tell <laughs> her own health reasons. So, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things we wanted to talk about uh, today was some trends in mm-hmm. barbecue. You've been writing about it on your cue sheet. Robert has a, if you haven't, if you don't know this, Robert has a, uh, a newsletter that's called the Q sheet. He puts it out, what, once a month? It's about, it's twice a month now. I was doing it weekly uh, at, at one point during the pandemic. That was one of my <laughs> pandemic activity, but I, I've gone back to twice a month. Uh, okay. Yeah, twice a month now that uh, I'm out and about a little bit more than I used to be. Good. So we were talking about trends. I know Leanne and I have talked to our other guests on the show about certain trends and things they see. And of course, with the pandemic, a lot of people started doing more at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, grilling and smoking and doing those things at home, not only up here in the Northwest, but all over the country. You two live both uh, kind of on the Eastern seaboard. So I know mm-hmm. you saw that down there. Um, and the barbecue business, as far as selling grills and smokers and that has gone through the roof. Uh, it's actually hard to get some of them, or it was, I think that's tapered down a little bit, but they couldn't get the parts. They couldn't get the motherboards. They couldn't get the ceramic. They couldn't, you know, it was just, there was such a rush on it. Yeah. I think I I saw in one of his articles um, that was the barbecue guys did not, decided not to go public because of that issue. Um, yeah, yeah. The supply chain was something that they cited as one of their reasons because yeah, barbecue guys is, uh, which is an online sort of e-commerce retailer, probably one of the best known uh, e-commerce barbecue specific retailers, uh, were sort of lined up for for an IPO. We're talking about it and, it's, uh, and actually going via the SPAC route, which I won't get into, but hmm. um, you know, have decided or announced that they're backing away from that. And they said that the supply chain issue you know, uh, issues were one of the big reasons that made it difficult for them to you know, get their hands on as many right. and sell as many uh, uh, grills and, and products as they'd like to. And I think that's been a you know, supply chain, of course, is affecting everybody from the grill manufacturers to, you know, uh, restaurateurs to the backyard cooks as well. So besides that, what are you seeing as trends or have you seen that developed over the last you know, year and a half going into 2022? Yeah, well, I think one of the, the big ones is is the sort of race to the backyard because I think a lot of people, when you know everything shut down in 2020, you know, spent a lot of time during the summer cooking in the backyard, et cetera. And since you were going out spending money on vacations or restaurants, that invested a lot of that money into grills and and backyard equipment. So one of the trends that we definitely saw was a huge boom in sales of all those those types of equipments, particularly things like pellet grills. You know, pellet smokers are are really hot right now, as well as any of those. Uh, you know, it seems like everything now has a uh, Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth connection with some kind of smartphone app. And so there's been sort of a race, high tech race with with backyard grills as well. And so that was definitely one of the trends that we saw. Um, one of the things I was tracking in the Q sheet over the, over 2020, 2021 was a, a lot of the private equity money that's been flowing into the barbecue mm-hmm. market, which has long been sort of a niche market that, that uh you know, that have been sort of, you know, organically grown players, but increasingly private equity companies were coming, have been coming in and buying out various different uh, uh, or companies. Traeger is a great example of a regenerative mm-hmm. pellet grill. And of course, private equity firms are, are, are not doing that, um, you know, just blindly. They, they see opportunity there. They see a chance to really tap into a booming market. So that was one of the things we really saw during uh, 2020, 2021 was a lot of money flowing into the the market, and I, I say you know, money chasing the backyard cook 
because backyard cooks had a lot of money to, to spend all of a sudden, or willing they were they were willing to spend all of a sudden, uh, and a lot of people out there trying to get their hands on it. So a little off in the weeds here, both Traeger mm-hmm. and Weber did their IPOs at the same time, and we talked about this briefly on the show before. <clears throat> I thought Traeger did a phenomenal job because they hit it before their IPO launch. They hit a national television ad campaign where the trigger fell off the truck or the trailer mm-hmm. and people followed it with the Pied Piper music from the sixties and all that. I thought that was really good, but do you have an explanation of why Traeger did so well in their IPO? Weber did okay, but not nearly what Traeger did. Yeah. And this is me more so sort of digesting what some of, some of the analysts have said, you know, is it's not, as well as just one of my observations, I think they had really great timing for for starters. So they sort of timed it just right. And if you look, they got a big pop in their share price right after the IPO. And mm-hmm. I think they had a great story at the right time, which was they're coming off a very strong year of sales thanks to COVID and all all that sales. The, the momentum was still there in the market going forward, uh, and IPOs were very hot at, at that time. Um, I think Traeger has much more of a growth story than Weber does in terms of uh, Weber's been around much, much longer. You know, yeah. They're sort of the category leader. So their growth is going to be steady but organic over time, whereas I think Traeger had a much better story that we can continue to grow at this much faster rate and therefore got a better, a little bit better clip than, than Weber did. But Weber did pretty well right out of the gate, too. Um, and the, they sort of, I think they're offering was a little bit smaller than they originally intended. I think the, the IPO market was starting to cool off right about the time that they went out. So I think that damped them a little bit more than, than Traeger. What I think has been really interesting is what's happened since then. They both sort of rose for a while and then toward the end of summer, suddenly started going down the other direction and then have really just, you know, are, are, have stayed low. They're, they're well below, both are well below their IPO price now. So whoever is the people looking at it, the investors are looking at those markets now, and they're not nearly as excited about the prospects here in December and January as they were, say, in July or early August. Do you um, do you foresee any more um, venture capitalists coming in t- towards us? I mean, it makes sense that towards the end of the year, midsummer and then into the fall, the you know, excitement and stuff about barbecue kind of wanes off unless you're hardcore tailgaters, yep. mm-hmm. you know, Leanne's out there doing stuff at NASCAR for Kip pit boss. She's doing things like that. And there's, there's always enthusiasm for that. But I think the stereotype of barbecue is only a spring and summer activity that's going away, but it hasn't gone completely away. So I, we may see something like that again, come this spring. Yeah, it's definitely a phenomenon for sales. I mean, the and and also for just you know someone who writes about barbecue for uh, barbecue website traffic goes way up uh, every you know May or so when people start mm-hmm. dusting off the grills and wanting recipes and well, to read about don't it. you think that global warming is going to help? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, there is a there is an upside there, right? <laughs> it certainly applies here in Charleston because uh you know we are. Our, it's hot here straight through and grilling season just about all the time now where it used to not be. Um, but I, I do think still, you know, it, it as do people still associate that, particularly in, in places further further north than where I am with, uh, you know, with the, the, the summer and, and the, you know, starting around Memorial Day, going through through Labor Day. But from a stock price valuation, in theory, that shouldn't matter. I mean, that should be priced in like anybody looking at that market should understand yeah. the seasonality. I think there is probably just more a little bit different long term. Uh, bearishness now on that market than there used to be. And I'm not sure if that's just because so much money has already gotten into it 
and the yeah. you know all all the yeah the big players have been been bought up or if it's more people were looking at covid and thinking it was going away i'd be curious to see what happens in the next uh next month or two now that numbers are spiking way back back up again um so i'm not exactly sure why uh suddenly the the money has gotten bearish on the those stocks but it, it definitely has and you saw, uh, as we we're talking you know barbecue guys uh decide not to go, not to go public so that's definitely cooled off a lot for some reason here toward the uh, you know, toward the holidays. Speaking of curious, we're going to take a break. Uh, Leanne and I and Robert Moss will be back here on Barbecue Nation on the USA Radio Networks right after this. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with uh, my co-pilot there, Leanne Whippen. And today we're talking with Robert Moss. A couple of things really quick. If you want to email us, you can go to barbecuenationjt.com. That website's going to be changing here in the next few days. Same URL, just different things on it. Um, Leanne and I will both have our uh, Barbecue Nation emails posted on there. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter <laughs> and uh you know, most all the social uh, platforms. And don't forget about Robert's newsletter. You can sign up if you go to robertmoss.com, uh, his, uh, the Q sheet. I get it. Um, you're usually filling up my inbox on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I look at that. The current state of barbecue, and I want Leanne, please, to jump in on this. Sure. There's, there's competition barbecue and backyard barbecue, like we talked about a bit in the first segment. I personally think that backyard barbecue, as far as if you were to look at it to a growth pattern, has jumped higher than competition um, because there's just more people. It's just raw numbers, more people. But I'd like to get uh, Leanne's take first on barbecue competition and backyard and then yours, Robert. Well, I think that COVID has had a huge impact on that. Obviously, there's been less competitions out there and now with people not going on vacations they're building outdoor kitchens they want outdoor space you know and that type of environment so i think the growth has really been a lot more in the backyard because of covid now i don't know if it will continue to do so uh competitions obviously are coming back but um right now it, it seems backyard is definitely a lot bigger Robert? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that for, for sure. And I think just that, that is some extent just a, a factor of, of sheer numbers. It's a it's a lot easier to, you know, buy a nice grill or smoker smoker a pit and you know cook for your family in the backyard. You know, competition is a little bit more of a commitment. You know, it takes uh, a lot more practice and then and traveling and, and doing doing that type of thing. So I think just naturally there's going to be a a larger target audience for the backyard. Um the, the the competition does seem world does seem to be you know it's it's grown a lot and since you know just like in the last two decades but it does seem like it's a smaller pond in terms of you know a smaller pool uh in in terms of interest among general consumers etc certainly you know when you're writing about competition barbecue versus writing just your know, recipe for the backyard cook you'll get a lot more pickup a lot more interest in the in the backyard recipes just because there's so many more people out there who want to 
you know, cook some ribs on for their family on a, uh, on a Saturday versus want to really go out and, you know, try sure. to try to beat the competition. Well, I think that's true because I get that type of feedback from this show. We have a lot of competitors that have listened to this show and a lot of competitors have been on this show, but I find my biggest audience is the weekend warrior, mm-hmm. you know, the backyard rib guy on Saturday or the tailgater at the football game because they feel that they like to listen to the competitors. They love Leanne, mm-hmm. you know, but the point is, is they, they're not going to do that. They just want to know how to go out and make a decent rack of ribs, you know, maybe cook some corn on the grill, what, whatever their preferences are. And they want to get better, but I don't think they want to try to step up and go to the competitive level. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's an expensive you know, expensive game, if you will, to do that. Yeah, it is expensive and, and, and it takes a lot of time to, to, to do and, and it takes a lot of time to, to master. Um, I, I sort of liken it to, you know, maybe, you know, wanting to get out and, and run or jog or, you know, for fitness, physical fitness and, and enjoyment versus someone who wants to go out to track meets or, you know, compete right. in, in, in mm-hmm. races, you know, that, and people who want to just go out and jog and, and, and run for fitness are very interested in watching races and learn, you know, and, and watching the competitors. But there's, I think it's always going to be a much, you know, the competitors are going to be a subset of the overall people <laughs> who are interested in, in cooking or, or running or anything else like that. That's one thing you won't find me do. Yeah, as I was saying, there's not a whole lot of necessarily between those markets. <laughs> I might jog between the refrigerator and the grill out on the deck, but um, you know, other than that, it's uh, it's not too much. When we, uh, one of the things you covered in your cue sheet recently, and and we've talked about before, is new trends in barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that, and and this kind of blends into the next question too, Robert. When they say changes in style, so let's let's go with trends first. Is there such a thing as a trend in barbecue? Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, def- definitely there, there is. And I think, um, yeah, I write a lot about uh, being a, being from South Carolina. I have to focus on it, fun at the uh, at Texans and Texas barbecue <laughs> as, as much as I love it. As I'm sort of obliged to do it. Um, but there, definitely there's been a trend toward the Central Texas style of barbecue, brisket and, and ribs and, and, and uh, hot link sausages, you know, the, the, the Holy Trinity in the last, really just the last 10 or 15 years. That's yeah. really been a huge trend that, that's grown. Um, I'm writing a lot these days about what I'm, I, I tend to call fusion cue. Uh, another writer mm-hmm. came up with the term fourth wave barbecue, which I sort of like because <laughs> it's, it's like the next wave after Texas barbecue. And that's really taking the sl- smoked meats, traditional American barbecue and infusing it with all sorts of other flavors from around the world. So everything from, you know, Mexican food, like tacos and, and things sure. like that to um, a- Asian food, you know, all those wonderful flavors that go so well with, with smoked meats. And it is amazing how much today, you know, barbecue menus used to be very set and fixed, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Now they're very creative and people do a lot of very interesting things. So that's definitely a trend that we're seeing on the restaurant front in particular. And I think that will carry over to what people are cooking their backyard, et cetera. Leanne, when you, you, you've owned some restaurants, you've managed mm-hmm. big restaurants and all that. Was it a big deal, especially like the last one? I know you sold your interest in it, but the mm-hmm. last one was actually a little, I don't know how big it was. I never saw it. So I'm not demeaning it at all, mm-hmm. but uh, to change the menu. I mean, cause I think when, when barbecue people are, are people that want to eat barbecue for lunch, they're driving down the freeway and they see 
There's Leanne's. Okay, we know who she is. We're going to pull off and eat. But do they expect to see smoked mac and cheese or smoked rice pudding or what have you on the menu? Or are they still expecting? People people are looking for things that are different. Um, Part of the design of the menu here in Tampa is to infuse Tampa flavors into the barbecue. A lot of the reason I think that you're seeing a lot of the uh, different menu items, too, is to help with food costs, because rather than putting down a pound of brisket, you can make a brisket taco with far less meat and, you know, get a fair price for it. So I think a lot of it has to do with food costs and the cost of meat, too. So it's being innovative to help with that offset it a little bit. How are we going to integrate deep fried Twinkies into the barbecue (laughs) world? I'm a Twinkie guy. So if you if uh, you haven't you can, noticed, yeah. I guess you can stuff it with some pork or something. Yeah, stuff <laughs> it with, with pulled pork or brisket and you, you've, you've got a winner. And drizzle it with barbecue sauce. There you go. There you go. We're, okay, we went off in the weeds on this one. Anyway, we're going to be back here on uh, Barbecue Nation with Leanne and Robert and myself right after this. Don't go away. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Leanne Whippen, and Robert Moss is our guest today. And we are, as of the middle of this month, on the USA Radio Networks. Yay! Uh, we'll be out, um, I would say by June, we'll be vastly covered across the country. So we've already got stations across the country, but it's going to be more. So there you go. I'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can uh, always count on. Beef just like your grandfather used to raise. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Also, Gunter. I got in trouble for saying Gunter. Remember, Meathead? He said Gunter. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's Gunter Wilhelm <laughs> Knives. They have uh, great knives, uh, great, uh, great balance, great efficiency, and you can check them out on and online at GunterWilhelmKnives.com. And this podcast version of this show is, of course, available on iTunes and Captivate and Apple and SoundCloud and the whole litany of them. Okay, so now let's get back and talk more with our buddy of, and friend of the show, Robert Moss. <clears throat> we talked about trends. What about the changes in style? Um. Leanne's got a style of cooking. Jeff's got a style of cooking. Robert's got a style of cooking. And I think those are all influenced by who we are, what we've done, where we've eaten, where we've cooked, who helped us along the way, all those things. But, you know, I I read something the other day, and maybe even in the cue sheet, Robert, that it said L.A. style barbecue. What the hell is that? Yeah, that's um, it, it's definitely that's been one of the trends. the The barbecue scene is really heated up in LA. Unfortunately, it's a lot of it's happened in the last two years when I've not been able to hop on planes and and travel. So I yeah. have not checked out LA. I admit the last time I was out there, which is probably three or four years ago, um, I wasn't super impressed by most of the, the places I went to. It, it was some of them were fine, but they just weren't. I would never advise anybody plan a trip to LA. But there have been there's a huge underground barbecue scene happening in L.A. And the reason it's underground is because being Southern California, they have very restrictive uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. air quality codes and regulations. <laughs> and, and you should read the trials and tribulations of these 
poor guys who are trying to set up uh, wood wood cooked barbecue operations. It's oh. very hard to operate yeah. Texas style offset pit, mm. uh, at least to get it permitted in LA. A few people have managed to do it, um, but there's just a lot of activity and interest out there. And I think you know, I was talking earlier about Texas. Some of that is the Texas influence. A lot of the new uh, pitmasters cooking out there, new operations were inspired by Texas, visited Texas and, and borrowed all that, you know, offset smoker brisket style. But now they're starting to do some really interesting things, which is to start bringing it back to LA and sort of mixing it with, you know, all the different cultures that are found there. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these cooks are from, uh, you know, Latino cultures or from somewhere, sure. you know, Asian American cultures. And so they're able to take some elements with their families cooking and mix it with Texas, uh, Texas style um, barbecue. So that's, that's really interesting what's happening out on, on that scene. I think it's just a dynamic food scene there where everybody's very interested in, you know, the, the, the beauty of cooking over wood and of that kind of, you know, craft type yeah. barbecue, but doing new and inventive things with it. I'm not quite ready to call LA the, the next barbecue capital of, of America or anything, but I do think it's a really it, a lot more interesting place to visit and eat barbecue now probably than it was you know five or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. At least isn't barbecue with like alfalfa sprouts on? Yeah, it's a little bit <laughs> and guacamole. <laughs> no, I think they're they're adopting sort of that big over the top style that yeah. you get, get everywhere else. Um, well, yeah, they, with, with barbecue these days, you know, as of Two days ago, they banned gas-powered weed eaters and weed blowers in California because of the fumes and the smoke. So I'm just wondering how, with Newsom and his cronies out there, you know, they'll. I've seen pictures of them. They'll sit down and eat a plate of brisket or something like that. But now they can't. You can't have the smoke to do it. Are yeah, they going to put it's... catalytic converters on the smokestacks? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they're they're going to do. I mean, right now, a lot of these operations are truly they're they're underground, so they're cooking somewhere, you know, somebody's driveway or something like that, and then you know, posting on Instagram, you know, pick up at four, but they don't say where. You have to direct message the the pitmaster to figure out where to go pick it up <laughs> because if they, you know the health department will come shut them down if they, if they find out. So um, that's going to be a big barrier, I think, to LA developing a. A serious barbecue scene, but mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe I'm optimist. I have a feeling that there's going to be enough demand for it that somehow they may, maybe they'll work through the red tape and figure out a solution that doesn't involve using just electric cookers or something like that. Yeah, I, I have no idea. You know, I lived in L.A. for a few years, a long time ago. And when you saw the, the smog up against the San Gabriel mm-hmm. Mountains where I was and, and all that, um, you know, my thought was, a little charcoal smoke from a Weber kettle wasn't going to change anything. Yeah. That. I was about to say with that many millions of cars, you know, having yeah. 20 offset yeah. smokers going in the whole, in the whole LA area probably is, is a drop in the ocean. Yeah, it isn't other things in style. Um, you know, Leanne and I both do a lot of media work and stuff like that. And, and I pay attention to it and I see people trying to take, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but they're trying to take, like you said earlier, Texas, mm-hmm. if you will, maybe the Carolina style, whatever. And they just put a little twist to it. And all of a sudden it's Barney Fife style. So I, I'm curious about that because stay with me for a second here. This kind of long winded. We're kind of the last country in the world because we're actually pretty young but other civilizations in Europe and Asia and all that were cooking over live fire for thousands of years before we got here. So we're relatively the new kids on the block. 
Uh, I think we could agree on that. But then when you try to change the style, I'm not sure it's a change in style or if it's just a change in uh, a little flavoring. That's that's my question. Well, when you say Barty's five style, you mean just just taking a an existing sound, tweaking it a little bit, or are yeah. you talking about trying yeah. to make it yeah. something t- totally different? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think what's it's an interesting dynamic because when I first started writing about barbecue, you know, twenty years ago, um, people were very dead set in in what their style was. If you grew up in the Midlands of South Carolina, not just South Carolina, but in a specific part, right. You wanted mustard-based sauce and hash and rice, and that's what barbecue was. And if you went somewhere that had red sauce, you'd be outraged because that's not real for barbecue. So people were very, very set on that. I think what you know happened with the rise of first TV, you know, like Food Network and all these TV, right. TV shows, and then the, the internet and Instagram and everything else. Now's people's influences are not so much what I grew up eating at the local barbecue joint as what I'm, I'm learning from watching a show about you know, Snow's Barbecue in Texas or watching this, that, and the other. So you are getting a lot of people going into the barbecue business who I think learned the, you know, what barbecue is, their definition of barbecue, not so much from going to the local barbecue restaurant and studying with somebody, but, you know, looking out and, and adopting the style, maybe visiting Texas or visiting the you know, Carolinas and then taking it back to wherever they're from and, and putting their little twists on it to say, mm-hmm. I'm making my style. So I think it's just a different way that that you know cooking techniques and styles are getting transmitted these days um and for, at some point everybody got in their head that uh, and this is probably the mid you know around 2005 2010 that to be barbecue you needed to have like a tray with like a checked paper wax paper in it with some ribs and it, it became a very very standardized thing that that uh that everybody sort of settled into uh, and then with the rise of Aaron Franklin and the, and the all the Texas style stuff, everybody wanted those big trays with butcher paper on it. You pile everything on top. So we're seeing some some changes in style for sure that I think are influenced more by media than and and, and social media than it is anything else. And you know anything that's handed down from generation to generation the way it had been, you know, back in the 20th century. Don't forget the uh, white bread on those trays. You got to have the white bread. A couple slices, I guess there Mm -hmm. it does that um here's a question for both of you uh sous vide okay um i it's got its purpose and i understand it i've even done it a couple of times i do not have a sous vide machine though but i wanted to get uh leanne's take and your take on that i I don't know i have i have a i have mixed emotions about that and then tying it into barbecue I mean, I'm okay with the the technique and and what it does for the product, and you know, being able to you know sear a steak real hot and fast. But I don't really think that it's something that's going to be fully integrated or used widely in barbecue. Certainly, it would be against the rules in a contest. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, I I think it has its place for those um people that want to do it in their backyard and test it and enjoy it but i i don't see it being a barbecue thing per se what do you think yeah, yeah i'm sort of the same way um I, I still associate sous vide with like fine dining about 10 15 years ago when all the chefs got into it and they were very excited because they could like do some really precise cooking with with meats and things um but I, i'm i'm sort of the same way which i i don't have a sous vide machine i've never been tempted i think i've done a little bit of a you know 
plastic, <laughs> the uh, pot shrink. of water. Yeah. yeah, the pot of water, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think something like a reverse sear approach where you're cooking something you know, low and slow and then finishing it is a sear is a great technique. I don't know that adding sous vide into the mix, you know, gets you a whole lot else, but maybe I'm not one of those uh, scientific cooks who really gets into <laughs> the, the fine details. I'm a little bit more of a, of a traditionalist, I guess. I guess I would I would be in that category to a traditionalist guy. And I, I always chuckle when they say reverse sear. <coughs> That's the way we'd been doing it no, no. for years, <laughs> just for years. I mean, and I when I first heard it, I didn't know what it meant. And I <laughs> and then I had to, like, you know, watch something or because it came on, you know, several years ago. And, and it was like, well, we're going to reverse sear that. And I was watching and I was going. Well, that's what we've been doing at the ranch forever. I don't understand. <laughs> this needed good marketing. That's all. Yeah. Like a, a good branding for it. Oh yeah. boy. It's, um, it's quite I, the thing. Go ahead. I do. I do think it is a reflection of um, just a relative level of sophistication for most backyard grillers and cooks has gone way up sure. uh, just in, 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 in 20 years or so. Um, I think just, it used to be just, managing charcoal fire and not squirting lighter fluid all over it was sort of the the <laughs> you know the the, the mm -hmm. high bar to get get over and people were when was the last time you went somewhere and someone was you know charred the outside of a steak and had it bloody red in the middle i think everybody's pretty much figured out the the, the basics pretty yeah. well now um we're going to take a break we're going to come back and wrap up the show with robert moss uh leanne and i and um it, that's it we're going to be back right after this Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with my co-pilot, Leanne Whippen, and we're talking with Robert Moss today. Robert, uh, his, go to his website, robertmoss.com. You can sign up for his newsletter, which comes out twice a month now. Called yep, and Jake, I'll interject there. It's actually Robert F. Moss. Robert F. Moss. Okay. In the middle. Yep. Get, get the right oh, that's one. right. Because I looked you up with just doing Robert Moss and you know, some old guy from, you know, Hannibal Lecter's era in there. Yeah. The picture of him, so, yeah. That's why I, I have the F on everything. I'm not that guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you still got color in your hair, too. This that's guy right. had no color. Um <laughs> But he's he's written a couple of books. He's got a new book coming out in February about chefs in uh, the South. I always like the way you you kind of preface it. I know you live in the South, but I always like that because I'm very interested in Southern cooking. I always have been. That's just me. But um, Leanne's living in the South now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Southern cooking has influenced us in so many ways. Uh, to me, when I think of like cooking in New England, I think of English cooking. Mm -hmm. A lot of boiled sheep and stuff, you know, <laughs> but when I think of Southern cooking, I think of that, that kind of traditional cooking and then the influences coming in from the islands and from Africa and different things like that. I, I, that's why to me, it's always been so interesting. Yeah, I think it's definitely, a, you know, well, Southern cooking is definitely the intersection of multiple uh culinary culture so european meets african meets native american has long been sort of the sort of standard definition of it one of the things in this new book that i do is i take a look at the, the influence of a lot of 
of European immigrants in the 1840s and 50s and, and beyond, when a lot of French and German cooks were coming to the U.S. We don't associate immigration much with the South, uh, as you would say, with, with northern cities. But there actually were quite a number of um, elite chefs who came to the to southern cities uh, around the middle part of the 19th century and influenced cooking. And the other aspect that I touched upon is ingredients. I think um, you know, people associate you know, things like black eyed peas and collards and fried chicken and, mm-hmm. and okra and that type of thing with the South. And they have for a long time. And that's definitely an important part of it. But there's so much else of, of American cookery, particularly using uh, oysters, using uh, a lot of game birds, things like that, where it's really a, a Southern or mid-Atlantic phenomenon. I include the Chesapeake in, in, the, in my definition sure. of the mm-hmm. South. And so really, the South really helped define what fine dining was in 19th century, greatly influenced what the restaurants in New York were doing uh, in terms of, of what they were serving to the, you know, the wealthy you know, uh, gastronomes in, in New York. And that just became part of the American fine dining repertoire. But it actually, a lot more, there's a lot more Southern roots to American fine dining uh, today than I think have often been recognized. Do you go. think that they were ignored and uh, didn't? get the credit they deserved from the times? Because in your research, you obviously had to dig up all this. Yes, definitely did. Uh, It it gets complicated, but um, they were ignored or forgotten in many cases. Um, The New Yorkers sort of turned toward France for inspiration and suddenly everything had to be French so that the Mm -hmm. Southern, you'll start to see things like Terrapin a la Maryland uh, on menus because everything had to be French in the late 19th century. So that obscured it. And then just the, the Jim Crow era, a lot of the great practitioners of, of cookery were African-American. They sort of got erased from the narrative um, yeah. through, through the politics of the, of the early 20th century. So it was a combination of, of things that, um, you know, I think by 1930, 1940, people had sort of forgotten where, where the you know, fancy dining had come from in, in the U.S. And then, you know, for, you know, forgot about it ever since. And it's uh, surprisingly few people have written about when you write about Southern cooking, you tend to go to the farms and the plantations. You tend not to go to the cities and t- look what's happening there. And that's what I tried to do for the first time was to say, yes, you know, the South was rural. There's a lot going on in the farms, and the plantations, but there's some really interesting things happening in the city, too, that that really deserve attention. Yeah, your last book, you hit on that a, a little bit. And uh, that was really uh, fascinating. You, you have to send Leanne a copy of that. Just yeah. I'm, out, I'm out there pitching for. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad that you did all the homework because this subject is definitely interesting. And and I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy the read and looking forward to it coming out. February, you said February 15th is the official publication date. So cool. it's, uh, it's I'll be here before I know it. Actually, it, it, that book, uh, I started it years and years ago. Um, it was inspired by tracing two barbecue cooks in uh, Augusta, Georgia, who it turned oh. out were also big caterers and ended up with restaurant careers. And that led me into this whole thing of, okay, where, what was happening in the restaurant scene in 19th century South? And, and, hmm. and here's a book. It's <laughs> finally here in uh, 2022. Well, congratulations. That's Thank awesome. Mm-hmm. Golf clap. Golf clap. Um, we've got about three minutes left before we need to go. So I'm going to bring this up and then we can pick it up again in after hours. <coughs> Excuse me. Corporate chains versus mom and pop brick and mortars. Um, you touched on this in the cue sheet. I know we've talked about it a little bit before. I, I'm sure Leanne has got some some stories about this too, because <laughs> of her her family history and her involvement in the restaurant world and the barbecue world. I see corporate chains coming in. Um, that's fine, you know. Uh, the one thing about corporate chains is 
that in in my experience, you know, we've seen it here in the Northwest where you've had corporate barbecue coming in. Um, they have three, four, five, eight outlets, and then they're gone. Usually the food is average at best, I would say. And the mom and pops, you find a good mom and pop barbecue, uh, you know, what the heck? Uh, they're usually stable and they're there and their food's always going to be good. Make you want to make you want to come back. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Well, I would add a third category into that mix. So I think you got a corporate barbecue. You might think of those as the national cross-regional barbecue chains. You do have the mom and pops, which tend to be sort of very small scale, one family running a, a restaurant. And I'd have what I'd call the well-funded independents, which I think are what you see a lot more rising th th these days. And these are often younger folks who are getting into the business, or perhaps they're established restaurateurs who are getting into barbecue from some other line of business, they tend to you know, be looking at a million dollars or more to open a restaurant and they're opening large form restaurants with, with full bars, TVs, you know, maybe bands, that kind of stuff, because increasingly barbecue restaurants, uh, people, barbecue customers are looking to go hang out, have big patios and all that kind of stuff. So there is um, sort of big money independence, which is a little bit different than your hole in the wall. Uh, mom and pop chains. And I think that's been a distinctive phenomenon in the last 10 years is you're seeing a lot of those grow. In the Kyushu, I'm writing about a lot of very successful small barbecue operations or one, one shops that are now expanding uh, that sort of fit that category. Uh, I think of Home Team Barbecue, which is here in Charleston, based here in Charleston. They've got five restaurants now, uh, maybe six, actually six restaurants and a seventh on the way. Think about Heim Barbecue, which is a great barbecue uh, independent and um, family-run place in um Dallas Fort Worth area. I think they have now three restaurants, and they're you keep hearing you know announcing a, of another. Um, I think that is sort of the new phenomenon that's coming along, and they're really interesting because they are very serious. You might call them craft barbecue. They're using unlike the corporate change, which are tending to be more you know needed to have very standardized processes, you know, set it, sure. forget it type things. You know, they're burning wood. They're doing you know creative side dishes and all that kind of thing. Okay, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, we're gonna. Roll right into After Hours, which doesn't air on the, uh, the radio network, but you can find it uh, in the podcast. Robert, thank you. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. And he yeah, is thanks, sticking, yeah, sticking around for After Hours. So uh, we'll be back next week. I don't know with who yet because we've got a couple in the works, but we will be back, Leanne and I. Until then, everybody remember our motto here. Turn it. Don't burn it. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.